This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you this week. I think next week we are going to start going back to interviews, or at least having some interviews interspersed with the non-interview episodes. Um, I don't know if you guys have any very strong preference for interviews versus not having interviews, and you can certainly write to me and let me know. Um, But I kind of, I I like mixing it up a little. And if I'm being very honest, it, it obviously makes it easier for me to fill the time when I have somebody else to talk to. But you know, this brings back one of the original ideas that I had for this podcast, and it sort of got away from me. And um, but that was to talk to to you guys, actually, just to talk to to readers and listeners, um, people who have a great cat rescue story. And I, I still kind of like that idea. I mean, honestly, the main reason that I backed away from it is because it can, you know, not everybody is great, obviously, on on air um, or is comfortable speaking off the cuff or being interviewed. And so the process of finding readers who have a great story and who also would be a good interview was a little bit laborious, you know, whereas if I am interviewing people who this is kind of what they do, they they are cat experts, or they've written books, or they have projects where they are used to having to do interviews. Uh, by the time I interview them, they've done like a million real interviews with, you know, the New York Times or or the local television news. And so coming on my little podcast is is really not throwing them for any kind of a loop. Um, But obviously, most people in the course of their everyday lives do not get interviewed, and it can be a little bit of a strange thing. So so that's why it was just a very time-intensive kind of thing. But maybe I will go back to that. Um, because I know that that you guys listening, I mean, so many of you have shared with me your amazing cat stories. And I think they are stories that other people would enjoy hearing. And I would love to to bring them to the world. So we will see. But in the meantime, I, I think I am definitely going to be calling in some, some expert, experts and people who work in rescue. Maybe we'll get Steve Dale back. I know a lot of you enjoyed listening to him and wrote to tell me that you would love to see me interview him again. So if you have any ideas or suggestions, somebody who works with animals or, or does something cat related, um, whom you really admire, hit me up, let me know, and I will reach out and see if I can find that person and get them to agree to come on the podcast. Um, 
I will admit, though, I, I have been and, and I intended to start working on this actually as soon as I got back. I actually had this whole list of notes for things that that I was going to do as soon as I got back from our vacation. Like we were going to get back Friday and that Monday, which was a week ago today that I'm recording this. Um, that Monday I was going to dive in and I had this whole long to do list. And oh, my God, did that never happen um, I will say, I, I don't know that I've ever come back from a trip, on the one hand, so energized to travel again, because it really was a great trip, but also just completely exhausted. Um, I don't know how many of you watched the show The Good Place when it was on the air. It was an NBC sitcom. I loved it. It's it's one of my all-time favorite shows starring Kristen Bell as a woman who gets into heaven by mistake. And so this is the premise of the show, heaven in the show being called The Good Place. And so, of course, in addition to there being a good place, there is also a bad place or, or hell, as we would call it. And so there's one episode where the gang is in the bad place. Um, they're not deep in the bad place. They're sort of on the outer fringes of the bad place. And they are in a museum, a bad place museum called the Hall of Low Grade Crappiness. <laughs> and basically the concept of this is, you know, things that people do that that have done that are really terrible, but aren't, you know, like really terrible. It's it's not, they're not committing genocide or anything. But the Museum of Low Grade Crappiness, for example, has an exhibit for the first person to floss her teeth in an open plan office, um, which I don't know if you've ever seen someone floss their teeth at their cubicle, but it is, it is a little gross. I, I don't know why people think it's okay to do things like that. Um, but so it's things like that, you know, first white person with dreadlocks, uh, first man to send a picture of his junk to someone or to take a picture of his junk. And it was some guy, you know, with an old daguerreotype machine taking a picture. Anyway, one of them was first person to say, I need a vacation from my vacation. Uh, and, and and I so I'm very aware of what it sounds like when I say that I need a vacation for my vacation, but I really did kind of need a rest. I ended up needing rest when I got home. Um, so it's just been a lot of hanging around, reading some books. Um, we actually had a minor kerfuffle with Lawrence who got water on the knee. Uh, woke up with a very swollen and painful knee uh, Thursday morning. So we had to find an orthopedic surgeon and then get a last minute appointment, which took a little bit of doing. And then the appointment was in the city. So we had to get in there and they used the biggest needle I ever saw to pull the excess liquid out of Lawrence's knee, which was a completely disgusting thing to witness. But I will say that this is where Years of of being a cat mom really stood me in good stead because, and I'm sure you guys can relate to this, right? What have we not seen? I mean, those of us who are long time cat people who have had cats from their earliest kittenhood until they they leave us due to old age and age related illnesses, um, particularly those of you listening who work in rescue or who have adopted maybe a rescue kitten. I mean, we. We know all the bad medical stuff, right? We have seen and dealt with and cleaned up after everything. I, I, I'm trying to, I, and there are some things um, 
you know, that that you never thought, you never expected to see. I remember, I mean, Vashti at one point, in, in, she was suffering from chronic renal failure. She had a bad reaction to one of the medications that they prescribed her. And let us just say that it was coming out of her from both ends, um, sort of volcanically. And and I, what could I do? I cleaned it up. That's what I did. And, and got her to the vet's office, of course. But the point being that, those of us um, who have cared for animals for a long time, I think in a way that we don't, you know, I, I would also say that those of us who have older parents or who have seen somebody through um, a, a serious illness or or perhaps a, a late stage, you know, an elder care situation would also know. But the truth is there are still lots of medical professionals around to do most of the the hard stuff and the heavy lifting um, or or to deal with like intense bodily fluid situations, whereas when it's your your pet, um, you you are you are much more likely to be on your own. You know, we can of course hospitalize our pets, but things that we would hospitalize there are things we would hospitalize a person for that we would not hospitalize our cats for. The point being that <laughs> it was quite disgusting to watch them drain all that fluid out of Lawrence's knee, but it also didn't really phase me because whatever, you know, truly, I have seen it all at this point. I'm sure something, I don't want to tempt fate. I'm sure there's something that could snap me out of my my languor on this one. Um, so I'm not, I'm not tempting the gods to show it to me, but, but it was okay. I, I could hold Lawrence's hand. I could watch it happening and, and I could handle it. And it was cool. Um, and a good thing that it did not happen while we were on our trip. Many of you who listened to last week's episode, by the way, noted that while I talked quite a bit about the trip that we had been on, I did not describe the reunion or, or talk about Clayton and Fanny at all. And, and you were all, um, or, or most of you were particularly concerned about Clayton, who has a very, you know, he has a very social and, and people oriented personality. And so to not have constant human contact around him, which is pretty much what he's always been used to his whole life. I, I have been working from home since before we adopted Clayton. So he, th- this is the world as he knows it, that there are always people around. And so, you know, on the one hand, it might seem that it would be a little bit harder on Clayton. And let me just say, Clayton and Fanny were both incredibly happy to see us. Although Fanny, this is pretty consistent. Um, f- and and maybe some of you guys have seen this in, in some of your cats. But Fanny, when we come home from a long trip, she hides under the bed for like a while. It, it's she's obviously a little freaked out. And I, you know, I could see it like like the hustle and bustle of carrying suitcases up up the stairs and things like that. That might rattle her and and cause her to run. It, it's not Clayton's favorite thing either. But she stays hidden for usually for several hours, and then we'll hear her crying from under the bed, and then eventually she makes an appearance. Um, and the thing is, you know, and and I realize this is obviously my fault because I am the one who introduced my cats to the world. And anything you think about my cats, it's it's because I told you this about my cats. Um, and so I think that the common perception is that it's harder on Clayton than it is on Fanny when we are gone, because Clayton is so much more social than Fanny. But the thing is, and again, I know that that most of you listening will appreciate the distinction I'm about to make. Fanny is a shy cat, but she is not an aloof cat at all. 
Scarlet was not shy. Scarlet was aloof. Scarlet didn't remain hidden because she was afraid of you or because she just didn't like you. She didn't like anybody. That was her deal. And and even with me, she was, I mean, she was a very independent cat. I was the only person, I mean, as you know, who she showed any affection to or whom she allowed to be affectionate to her, at least until the very, very end of her life, the last few months, she and Lawrence actually really bonded. Um, but she was not shy. And, and Fanny, I would say, is almost the opposite because Fanny is a very sweet and very affectionate cat. And Fanny needs as much lap time as Clayton does. She just gets it at different times. And under, you know, Clayton is is all about the couch. I sit on the couch, Clayton sits on me. Um, but if I am upstairs, if I'm reading a book in the bedroom or watching a movie or hanging out or whatever it is, Fanny, that's where Fanny insists on being on my lap. Um, she needs a lot of lap time from me every day. And the thing with Fanny is that Fanny, because she is so shy, will not come out for the pet sitter. So Clayton, at least, has that respite. You know, twice a day, the cat sitter comes in. And and I know we have we are working with a new cat sitter um, who replaced the wonderful, wonderful Mark Blanchard, um, who was our beloved pet sitter for many years and who has been experiencing some health problems lately. And Mark, if you are listening, I, I certainly hope that you are that you are better soon. And I know the cats would love to see you again. And it took Fanny a few years, and I'm not kidding, a few years to warm up to Mark. But she finally did. Um, and then Mark, you know, fell ill and has been having some health problems. And so while he is recovering, we've had to find another person to sit with our cats. And she is great. The, the, and she only lives a, a couple of blocks away, which just makes me feel better in case, you know, especially if we're traveling in the winter. This has been a weird winter with essentially no snow, at least here in New Jersey. Um, but, you know, knowing before we left that in case it did snow while we were gone, it's not like somebody would have to come a mile and a half through a blizzard. You know, she's, she's two blocks away and that makes it feasible for her to see the cats even in inclement weather. But anyway, Fanny will not, you know, did not come down, come out for her at all. And Fanny really takes a very long time to warm up to new people, if ever. Um, I really can count on one hand the number of people that Fanny finally trusted enough to come out and greet them when they were at our house. Uh, my husband's father, my, my father-in-law who died in 2016 and, and who was very, a very kind and gentle soul. And... He was one of the very few people who Fanny kind of warmed up to through repeated exposure. But I, I have friends who have been in the house many times. We have our friends who visit from Tennessee and who are in our house probably once or twice a year, every year for the entirety of Fanny's life. So she has really known them her whole life. And she is still shy around them and does not come out. And again, I really do want to emphasize Fanny is not at all an aloof cat. She's just shy with people she doesn't know. She's very skittish in general for for a cat who has lived such a cocooned and sheltered life. Uh, and, and for anyone listening who doesn't know Fanny's whole history and is thinking, well, that's since she lived with you. You don't know what her life was like before she came to you, and fair enough. Um, but Fanny and, and Clayton, who are littermates, uh, they were found in the, in the backyard – at, at two weeks of age of a man who actually was a cat rescuer and who trapped the kittens 
and placed them with a foster network with which he volunteered. And so Clayton and Fanny from two weeks of age, they they went, you know, to a foster home where from as far as I could tell at the time, they were really showered with quite a bit of affection and attention. And then they came to me, to to Lawrence and me. And so, yes, I am going to say that that for all but the first two weeks of their lives, they they have been very sheltered and very cosseted. And yet Fanny is very, very wary of everything. She's a very skittish cat, uh, which I guess goes to show that certain personality traits really do go right down to the bone. You know, I sometimes wonder if I did something to make Fanny so nervous and so uncertain and so high strung. Um, I can be a little high strung myself at times. Uh, those of you who listen, who know me well and listen to this are probably thinking, nah, get out of here. But it's true. It is true. I myself can be a little high strung at times. Little nervous. I, I can, um, can be a little tightly wound. So maybe Fanny does get it for me. I don't know. But anyway, it just makes me feel so bad for her while we're gone because at least Clayton is getting something. He's not getting as much as he's used to. But I also know that the pet sitter, she doesn't just come and clean the litter box and put down food and leave. She hangs out. She brings toys. Um, we have a lot of books in the house and and she likes to read. So she'll sit on the couch and, and read a book and hang out with Clayton. Again, we're very close to where she lives. So it's not like she has to rush out of our house to beat traffic. And so I know she spent some good quality time at the house while we were gone. So Clayton was not completely deprived by any means. He got good undivided attention for probably a a full hour every day, which is something. And it's not nothing. It's not as much as me being here 24-7 does for him, but it's something. But Fanny got nothing at all. And that just makes me very, very sad for her. And, you know, I would actually, again, I, I throw these things out there because you guys come back to me with such great ideas. Um, but I would definitely love to hear if, if any of you have successfully brought a shy cat out of her shell. What I would really like to do is to find a way to introduce Fanny to the pet sitter in a way that is not going to make Fanny feel freaked out. Um, and just so she also has the opportunity to to get a little attention from the pet sitter when Lawrence and I travel. Although I don't think we're going to be traveling again anytime very soon because it really, it, it was a big trip that we just took following another big trip when I went to Greece and then to Albania and Lawrence joined me in Greece. And that was, you know, again, part of a, the, the Albania portion was a working trip and, and Greece kind of got tacked onto that. Um, but so it, it's been quite a few trips, uh, big trips where we have seen many old and wonderful things and, and hiked up and down very steep hills and the sides of mountains and wandered over cobblestones. And we are not quite the action adventure duo, Lawrence and I, uh, that we perhaps I was going to say that we perhaps were at one time, we, we but we never have been. <laughs> I, I was already... You know, when Lawrence and I met, when we first started dating, I was already 33, which is not old by any stretch of the imagination, but I was no, I was really taking a hard exit out of my 20s. And um, so, yeah, we, we have not typically been an action adventure couple. So it's it's been a lot. It's been a lot for us the last few months. And I think we are probably going to take it easy from here. Um, I think the next trip that I have 
on the horizon, although I'm not sure where it is to be yet, is the Cat Writers of America have invited me to be the keynote speaker at the upco- their upcoming conference. Uh, I've been a member of CWA for, for quite a few years now. And of course, I've been familiar with them since I first published Homer's Odyssey. And for those of you who maybe are listening to this and, and write about cats and are not familiar with the Cat Writers Association, I definitely encourage you to look it up. It's a really good resource and, and networking association um, and just a good way to meet other people who do what you do and, and talk about some of the professional pitfalls that you face. And so, of, of you know, this is not confirmed yet. I don't know that I will be delivering the, the keynote address at the CWA conference. Again, I'm not even sure where it's going to be held yet, which would be something of a determining factor, um, only because I have to, you know, see how far away it is and figure out if I have time the schedule and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, of course, when you get an invitation like that, you you immediately start thinking in your head, well, what would I talk about? What would my speech be? I've done a lot of public presentations. I've done a lot, a lot of public speaking over the years. I'm not sure that I've ever given a keynote address um, and, you know, a keynote address for a conference really should sort of set a tone or a theme for the event. I think there's there's more pressure on that kind of a speech to sum up why people are here than if you are just delivering one of the smaller, pre- you know, one of the presentations about, uh, I don't know, some smaller technical presentation about how to advertise your book to cat lovers or how to plot your cat-centric novel or whatever the case may be. But so I immediately started thinking about it and, you know, I, I was having a conversation, Lawrence and I, with one of our guides um, on our trip, uh, the, the guide that we had in Israel. And I don't remember how it came up, but I, I said at one point that I was actually very happy to turn. Well, I mean, and this was a trip, by the way, Lawrence turned 60 on this trip. Um, I turned 50 a year ago. And I was talking about how, you know, so many people had told me like, oh, my God, you think 40 is hard. Wait till you turn 50. And I understand that once at a certain age, every milestone birthday, in a sense, is going to be the worst one yet because you're you you keep getting older. (laughs) And so things that that you didn't even parts of your body you didn't even think about on your 40th birthday are now officially painful or swollen or problematic or a doctor's giving you to, a pill to control some something that it, it doesn't do that it should be doing or that it that it's you know not supposed to be doing but it's doing it anyway or whatever the case may be um and and that is just you know you really do reach a certain age where you realize like however bad you feel or think you look in the mirror when you wake up in the morning Today, you look and feel as good as you're ever going to look and feel again, because it really is all downhill from here. And um, and so and, and everything I'm saying sounds very depressing. And so you would think that turning 50 would have been kind of depressing, especially because my 50th birthday happened. It was still during the pandemic. It was a very, very kind of low key celebration. Um, but it was not the sort of like like Lawrence had a huge blowout 50th birthday party that people came for, you know, traveled from all over the country to attend. And that at least, you know, takes some of the sting off, just the distraction of the big elaborate party. And, and so mine, because it happened during COVID, was was a little bit different from that, certainly much more low key. Um, and yet, 
turning 50, I, I mean, turning 40 was was fine, actually. It didn't really feel one way or the other. Um, but turning 50 was not terrible. I was actually very glad to say goodbye to my 40s. And I will tell you why. Um, it is because the second half of my 40s, I found to be just profoundly sad. And we talk about midlife crises and and all of that. And, and this is apparently a very common phenomenon and that tends to hit people in the, in the back half of their 40s. Um, and you start to question everything. And Part of it is the realization that that so many doors have closed. You know, when you are younger, there there's nothing but open doors and limitless possibilities and blah, 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 blah. But then you hit a certain age and you realize that that so many doors are closed, that even if it's something you would enjoy doing or would be good at doing, it is just too late for you to start doing it. And that applies professionally. That applies in your personal life. If you wanted children and you haven't had them, I mean, honestly, by the time you're 46, you ain't gonna. And if you, you know, or if the reverse is true, if you feel like you had children too young and you missed, you know, there were so many parts of your youth that you missed, travel, adventure with friends, things like that. Once you're 46, I mean, that that is not coming, but you can still travel and you can hang out with your friends, but it's never going to be what it would have been if you had done it when you were younger. Um, you know, all I mean, you just start to realize that there are a lot more closed doors than open ones. And of course, then you start to question every decision you ever made. Um, I should have, you know, you I should have maybe done this or maybe I should have done that. And of course, it's impossible to prove counterfactuals to prove that you would in fact have been happier if you had done this different thing that you ended up not doing. Um, but it can seem very clear in your head that in fact you would have been happier or your life would have been better or or whatever. You spend a lot of time second guessing and also mourning the things that, that you did have that have gone and the things that you never had that you now never will have. And and I found it to be a, a sad period in my life. Um, but this ties into the, the CWA keynote speech and, and also to this podcast, um, which is obviously not about midlife crises. But, you know, and, and you know how it is, like when you're already feeling kind of down, you start piling it on, right? You start like almost intentionally thinking of every other thing that bums you out so that you are all of a sudden just emotionally this giant heap of really upsetting, depressing things that bother you. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like, like, like you can't stop, you know, scratching the scab or you can't stop like poking your tongue into that sore place in your gums. It's, it's that sort of phenomenon. Um, but I did, you know, I, I've been to quite a few high school reunions uh, between my own and, and my husband's over the years. And you meet a lot of lawyers who who say, you know, man, I, I wish I'd written that novel. Um, you never meet a writer who says, man, I, I, I wish I'd gone to law school. Um, I'm sure there are such writers out there. But the point being that this was something I, you know, when I would start spinning the, these counterfactuals, this would be something that I would always come back to. Um, that and the one thing I could never convince myself of, even really in, in like the, the depths of, of sadness and mourning for lost opportunities or, or lost youth, I could never convince myself that there was any better thing to do with my life 
than what I am doing. Um, I would always like to to do it more, to to sell more books, to have more listeners for the podcast. You you always want it to be bigger than it is. I mean, until every cat lover in the world has heard about Homer, there there is more territory for expansion that I look forward to conquering. Um, but getting to write about cats and getting to advocate for rescue and for rescue causes and getting to to talk to all of you and to be to have the extraordinary privilege of of having you write to me about your lives and your families and and your cats um i i i genuinely can't imagine anything better to do and i i imagine if if my you know my my present self were to go back to my teenage self uh try not to shock her with you know the the weight gain over the years um but if i could go back in time and and tell my teenage self that you you will be a professional writer a a a successful professional writer and you will have an actual readership and 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 fans who like your book and you will get to write about animals and you will get to be a voice for rescue animals you will get to help raise money for rescue animals, you, this is what you are going to do with your life. I, I think I, I would literally not have been able to wait for that to come to pass. And I, I realized that everybody listening to this, it comes from a different walk of life and, and has different personal and professional situations. And, uh, you know, some of you are also people who are cat writers who make a living writing or writing about cats. Uh, most of you probably are not just because most people, this is not something that most people do. But the other thing that would always come back to me was that if I had made different life choices and ended up at different places in my life, then the cats who I have lived with would never have been my cats. You know, sometimes I would think I, I wish I had got come to New York straight from college instead of going back to Miami. I my writing career might have started younger. I might have been further along and and I don't know. Who knows? Maybe that's true, maybe that's not true, but I would never have ended up with Homer or Scarlet or or Vashti. I mean Vashti's the only cat there would have been an outside chance of because she was found at my mother's school. But if I were living in New York, I don't think my mother would have contacted me. Um, I mean, and the same thing about Clayton and Fanny. And probably there would have been other cats and animals and pets who I would have loved. But I, and I know that it, that most people listening to this will relate to to that this feeling that I feel so strongly that they were meant to be my cats and I was meant to be their human. And I don't really believe in fate or or any you know when i say meant to be it's it's hard for me to reconcile that with my more rational beliefs because i i don't believe that there is a plan that the universe is is guided by some sort of consciousness that that has an idea of what each of our lives is supposed to look like and nudges us in that direction that that is not something that i really believe in and yet in in just a very visceral in my gut you know in my heart of hearts kind of way i so strongly believe that nobody else would have been as good for these cats and that these cats would not have been as good for somebody else there in in each one of them there there was something 
that I needed and that they had each of them something different and and there's something that each of them needed that I had and yeah it, it's just this really unshakable feeling and Again, I, I understand rationally, like if my mother had never met my father, that is not to say that none of my cats would have and, you know, they would have lived loveless lives and and loveless, unhappy lives. I don't really think that's true, but I, yeah, like I said, just this unshakable belief that that we were all meant for each other. And again, I know that that is a very common feeling. I think probably most people listening to this will feel the same way, certainly about some of their cats, if not all of the cats that they have lived with. And so I, you know, I, I guess the point being that that it's, you know, several things of, of late have made me reflect on this. Um, but it is a good thing to remember in in both joyous times and in difficult times that there is so much in my life for, for which I am incredibly, incredibly fortunate. And so many things that that I, I I couldn't possibly wish for a, I mean, truly wish for a very different life, because there are just too many things that I have that wouldn't exist in a different kind of life that are too good and too important. And certainly getting to talk to all of you is one of those things. Um, but it, it was really, you know, this is the reason why it was actually, I uh, turning 50 was very good for me because it, it is only in moving past some of that inevitable sadness that, that I hid in, in the back end of my 40s that I, I could arrive at a point where I could see that far from, from being sad, I, I actually should be nothing but grateful for my life and and for what it has turned out to be and for what it has become. And I think it is a good thing for all of us to to keep in mind. I, it, it's just way too easy to get down on ourselves for things we didn't do or, or for things that we don't have. And so to anyone who might be feeling that way, remember you have uh, somebody with, with four Four little paws and a warm beating heart who thinks you are the most amazing person in the entire world, like literally that you are the single greatest human being in the entire world. And honestly, can you say to a certainty that they're wrong? And if the answer to that question is no, then what are you so unhappy about, right? Life is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Not beautiful for everybody, though, at least not at the moment. And here's where I'm going to do a hard segue before we we part company today. Um, I was traveling during mo during the initial aftermath of of that monster earthquake that hit Turkey and Syria, and so I was not able to guide any sort of a fundraising effort. I I know what big hearts and how generous all of you are, and and you do not need me to tell you to donate when something like this is all over the news. This is not information that you need for me to bring to you. Having said that, though, I, I will, for those of you who maybe were not able to find an organization or individual to donate to, or for whom it, it slipped your mind, um, life is, gets very busy. And and frankly, we right there's, there's lots of demands on our money at all times, especially now in these inflationary times in which we live. But if you have even a spare two, three, five dollars, 
I would like to encourage you to make a donation to IFAW, which is the International Fund for Animal Welfare. You can find them at IFAW.org, and that's I, F is in Frank, A, W, dot org. Or you can just Google them, the International Fund for Animal Welfare. Um, They are a wonderful organization, and they put boots on the ground. Whenever there is any sort of a large-scale disaster, particularly a natural disaster, as we all know, these sorts of human tragedies are also always animal tragedies. There are animals who are injured, animals who are separated from their human families and who are unable to take care of themselves. Sometimes it's both of these things, an an injured family pet. Um, I... Feel so, I, I feel so passionately about this. Again, I, I know that feeling of, of there being an emergency, a disaster, and you've been separated from the animals that you love and you don't know if they're alive or dead or how they're doing or what's going on with them. And in that kind of a situation, I cannot begin to tell you what a, a, a load off of your soul at, at a moment when, as far as you know, you are homeless and you have nothing in the world and you might not even have these animals anymore, at least to know that somebody is trying to help them, that somebody else other than you is doing what they can to get to them and to take care of them, that you are not alone in this. It It is a tremendous, not only a relief, but an incentivizer. It's, it's the sort of thing that gives you hope. And I, the point being, I really cannot say enough good things about organizations like IFAW, who put boots on the ground, who are there in the thick of it, who are working hard, tirelessly really, to save as many animals as it is possible to save and to reunite them with their human families. They certainly deserve our support, um, absolutely are worthy of a donation from you. Again, even if you only have 2 or $3, if every single person listening to this show donated 2 or $3, that would make a substantial donation in aggregate. And it, it is always never, never worry that you're doing too little. Every, truly, every little bit helps. Um, so I encourage you to to look them up and to make a donation and to help save a life. And again, every one of us, right, especially those of us living in the United States, which just seems to be a natural disaster prone country. We have forest fires and hurricanes and tornado alley, and we also get earthquakes and you know, blizzards and whatnot. Um, so the other reason I think it, it's a good idea to donate to organizations like IFA is because truly the life you save may be your own. So take a look, see what they do. I think you will be impressed. And on that note, I'm going to say goodbye for now. I thank you for joining me and I will see all of you next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up With A Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.